0: Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started.
1: Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day.
0: doing my name is jessica flint i'm the founder and ceo of recovery warriors a multimedia resource hub for all things related to eating disorder recovery i personally recovered from an eating disorder and am here to inspire you to do the same i believe recovery is not only possible but it's worth it that is why recover strong exists to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder Today is Five Things Friday, where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. Now, each Friday, we talk about five things related to recovery, whether that is five steps to improve your body image, five things to focus on in the recovery process, or today's topic of five intense emotions connected to eating disorders, or as I like to call them, energy in motion, e I love how legendary author of Eating in the Light of the Moon, Dr. Anita Johnston, talks about emotions as waves. So let's get started with a little clip from her. We've bought into the idea that we're capable of controlling our emotions. We're not. Not any more than you can swim up a mountain. Emotions are a form of energy. They're a wave. And so—and it can't be controlled any more than you can go to the ocean and hold the waves back, right? But you don't have to. You can learn to ride the waves. You can learn to dive under them. And so this idea that control is is an illusion, therefore it is not the tool you want to reach for. Every single time you think, oh, I got this, I'm in control. It's like, oh, oops, here's that. And so it's really a matter of riding the emotions that flow through you and they're big waves right now. And so it's it's good to ride all of them and so that you can get the hang of it. They come in, they peak, and they will pass. That doesn't mean another one won't come because here it comes and you learn to ride it. Remember this, an emotion is just like a wave, it will peak and then it will pass. Now, if we avoid, deny, or suppress our emotions, they remain unprocessed. An eating disorder develops as a coping mechanism that serves as a distraction from our emotions because our energy ends up just getting directed into controlling food and our body. But remember what Dr. Anita Johnston said, control is an illusion. An eating disorder starts out as a way to feel in control until it ends up controlling you. I know you are here for deeper healing from an eating disorder, which means being able to boost your emotional intelligence. Now the thing about emotions is they aren't rational. They are not logical. Emotions want to be experienced, not intellectualized and analyzed. So true emotional intelligence comes when you fully accept your emotions and allow them in. Now there's a principle in intuitive eating called all foods fit. And I like to say that all emotions fit. There are no right or wrong or good or bad emotions. Although emotions can be experienced as uncomfortable and inconvenient. They themselves do not cause problems. It's actually our attempt to not feel our emotions that causes problems. Now, the beautiful thing about our emotions is they provide us powerful keys to self-awareness. They serve as a way to help us understand our needs, boundaries and desires better. So, let's identify what these five intense emotions are so you can get to a place where you embrace their intensity without turning to eating disorder behaviors. Number one, anxiety. If I could compare anxiety to waves in the ocean, anxiety is like having one wave after another after another with no break in between. It's so energetically tiring. One anxious thought after another, after another. It's like living in the head with an overactive imagination, spinning out worst case scenarios, calculating errors, and trying to control others' perceptions. Whenever my anxiety got super intense and was really charged up, this is when I would fall into the eating disorder compensatory behaviors for relief. Dr. Norman Kim from Ionotherapy is my go-to for understanding anxiety and how it relates to eating disorders. He's a top-notch researcher, educator, and advocate for eating disorder awareness and treatment, especially in minority populations. Let's hear what he has to say about being put in front of an anxiety-provoking situation.
2: So you are put in front of the situation that normally causes you anxiety. And then what's the, the most important element is that you're not allowed to engage in your typical compensatory behavior to alleviate your anxiety. You've got to sit there with the anxiety and monitor it and allow it to happen because you need to learn that no matter what, at some point, anxiety is going to plateau. And then at some point, even if you do nothing about it, anxiety is always going to go away. It's just the way that our nerves are are designed. They can't just keep firing indefinitely. At some point, they have to fatigue. But what happens if you are somebody who's used to engaging in compensatory behavior is you start to feel anxiety go up, and then you do your behavior. And then the next time anxiety goes up, you do your behavior. So what what have you experienced? All you've ever experienced is that anxiety just goes up. You've never experienced the plateau, and you don't experience that Ultimately, without you doing anything, anxiety goes down. Over time and through the exposure you learn that anxiety or the distress or the urge doesn't last forever. It's eventually gonna decrease without you engaging in any kind of behavior. And more most importantly, that whatever the feared consequence is, the big feared consequence does not occur.
0: Our nerves can't keep firing indefinitely. They have to fatigue. And as long as we sit with the anxiety without reaching to a compensatory behavior, it will subside. Anxiety, just like fear, holds valuable information as to what you really need to feel safe. This is why so many people with eating disorders have quote-unquote, safe foods that they feel less anxious around or that they can eat without feeling anxiety. However, I challenge you to see that the real safety lies much deeper than food choices. It's really a call for meeting human needs, like love, belonging, and connection. Which brings us to our next emotion. Number two, disconnection. Disconnection is a common experience in eating disorders and takes on so many different forms. A disconnection from our body, disconnection from a sense of purpose or meaning, and disconnection from other people. You've likely had the experience of being in a room of crowded people and still feeling disconnected. Now you may experience this as loneliness or isolation, or just a general state of dissatisfaction. According to Dr. Norman Kim,
2: Uh, At the most basic level, everyone who's struggling with an eating disorder is struggling with a profound sense of disconnection. And disconnection operates on a number of levels, right? It's disconnection, certainly in terms of relationships. This doesn't mean that people with eating disorders aren't in relationships or can't have relationships, obviously. But when you're, you know, when you're struggling with that really, with that long-standing feeling of I'm not good enough, it's going to impact on how honest you feel like you can be or how vulnerable you feel like you can be. And without honesty and vulnerability, it's really difficult for any of us to maintain healthy reciprocal relationships with people. It disconnects you from the full experience of existence. There is this really wonderful growing body of, of literature on, um, on happiness and, and on positive psychology. And, you know, study after study shows that among the most common characteristics of people who are kind of generally happy people is a clear sense of purpose and meaning. If you don't have a sense of purpose and meaning, it's very, very difficult to um, just kind of exist. Um, we really need that. It's as more, it's as basic of a need a need as we have as a species, and that's one of the things that I think is is in many ways the most um, painful thing about this illness because it really robs you of that connection to something bigger than yourself and it robs you of a connection to a larger sense of purpose or meaning and that really makes it difficult to fully participate in, in just kind of being and in, in existing it certainly disconnects you from yourself on a number of levels you know obviously at the level of basic sensations you become disconnected from hunger signals from lots of other need signals um, as well as spiritual needs um uh, the spiritual needs that we all have. It disconnects your body from your mind and your spirit. Um, and then and then finally, certainly last but not least, it disconnects you from a sense of curiosity and meaning. It's very difficult to exist in a hypervigilant, you know, threat-based state all of the time and maintain a sense of curiosity. Because if you think about it from a survival standpoint, you know, curiosity isn't terribly important if all you're trying to do is survive. Curiosity is very different from being hyper They're really incompatible states to be in. And we need curiosity, we need wonderment. Um, all of those are important things that lead to a sense of meaning in our, in our lives.
0: Connection is key. I love to say we don't become our strongest selves by ourselves. We need connection to not only survive, but to thrive. When we allow ourselves to look deeper into the ways we are disconnected in our body, heart, and soul, we bring in greater self-awareness. We create connection when we look deeper within ourselves to see how we keep others and our own self at a distance and why we do it. Which brings me to our next emotion. Number three, shame. Shame is an emotion that affects all of us, and profoundly shapes the way we interact in the world. Researcher and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Brené Brown, defines shame as, quote, the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, end quote. She goes on to say that shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we are not good enough. Shame is so woven into eating disorders that Dr. Norman Kim describes eating disorders as disorders of shame. Let's hear what he has to say about why.:
2: Eating disorders are also disorders of um, disorders of shame. You know, all of us can understand guilt and all of us can understand shame. Shame is actually, from an evolutionary standpoint, a very important emotion for us to have as a species because it's sort of, it's a socially corrective, um, socially corrective emotion. If we do something transgressive and then we feel shame about it, you know, most of us would feel some sense of wanting to. Um, rectify that or do something different the next time. So it's an important thing in terms of keeping us, you know, functioning as societies. But that, you know, so all of us can understand that level of shame and guilt. But then some people experience what's called the shame of existence, where um, shame is shame that's usually linked to the self or to one aspect of the self is really linked in a much more global way to To something that is of the whole self that is the actual existence of your personhood of yourself becomes a source of shame and when it becomes that big it's particularly intense you know it's shame about the fact that you exist the fact that you are and it results in this really significant urge to hide to conceal to disappear to take up as little room as possible and then ultimately to cease to exist. Now, it's important to understand that this is not necessarily the same thing as um, suicidality. It's related, but it's really a different thing. And there's, there's a entire, again, an entire body of research that tells us that the same parts of our brain that get activated with physical pain get activated when we experience shame. So in a very literal sense, when we feel shame, it is painful in the same way that anything else is painful. And I think this is something that anyone who struggles with meaning eating disorder understands full well, um, how horrible and painful existing in a shame state is.
0: I like to think of shame as a tar-like substance that covers our true inherent goodness. It's just this goopy tar that covers it up. And it feels like there is no inherent goodness underneath because it's so thick and dark And the more experiences we have in life that generate shame, and the more we judge ourselves and stay silent about the shame, the thicker the tar becomes, and the harder it is to see and feel your true inherent goodness. But it's there in each and every one of us. Fortunately, there is a shame tar remover, and that is self-compassion and speaking up. When you take away secrecy, silence, and judgment, you can wash away the shame layer by layer. This is why having support can be so helpful in the recovery process because you can voice your shame to others who understand and won't judge you. These conditions will help you set a strong foundation for a long lasting eating disorder recovery. Now let's move on to our next emotion. Number four, depression. Now, there are countless ways I could talk about depression, so please do not take this as the end-all-be-all all explanation. Having experienced mild to severe cases of depression myself while living with an eating disorder, and having people in my family line commit suicide due to depression, I understand how serious depression is and do not take it lightly. At the same time, I want to tie in some wisdom I heard by the way of comedian Jim Carrey that speaks more to the soul than the science when looking at depression. Jim Carrey, he posted a tweet about depression that Ariana Grande, who is a huge Jim Carrey fan, retweeted. It had the whole Twitterverse trending, and in this tweet contained a quote from author, poet, and spiritual teacher Jeff Foster. And when I read this quote, it floored me. I was like, whoa, I have never heard depression explained like this, and this feels so truthful, and it resonated to my core, and I wanted to share it with you. So it said the following, quote, the word depressed can be spoken as deep rest. We can choose to view depression, not as a mental illness, but as a state of deep rest, a spiritual exhaustion that we enter into and we are depressed, pressed down by the weight of the false self, the mask, the mind made story of me. We long to stop pretending and express our raw truth to give voice to our secret loneliness, our shame, our broken hearts, boredom, and brilliant rage. Depression's call to truth needs to be listened to and understood. There is no shame in your exhaustion. We are all exhausted, my love. Slow down today. Allow yourself to rest. Deeply. And weep. And breathe. And begin again. Now. I say our depression is holy. It contains the seeds of new life. End quote. So looking at depression as a call for deep rest has helped me understand so many of the times that I struggled with my depression and just this heavy weight of carrying a false identity, the eating disorder, and all the shame that was wrapped around it and the behaviors and the secrecy and the silence and the judgment. During these times, I had allowed myself space to grieve, to feel helpless, to heal past hurts and cry tears that I never felt safe to cry because I was too busy being strong. We can spend our whole lives creating and curating a specific identity for ourselves or a certain type of image that we want the world to see us as that's not wholly authentic to who we truly are. This creates suffering. This leads us away from our own inherent goodness because we do not feel we are enough just as we are right now. Now, while there are many advancements in medicine that help people manage their depression, and I'm not overlooking the place for those today, it is also important to look at depression from a deeper lens. How can depression be a spiritual exhaustion that's pushing us to evolve past the mind-made story of the ego? It's a pretty deep thought, but it's worth consideration. Now let's move on to our final emotion. Number five, anger. Anger is one of those emotions that our culture has a lot of judgments around. So speaking of shame, the master emotion that gets amplified with judgment, we can see how anger can be wrapped up with shame. With the innocent intention of wanting to be liked and loved and to stay safe, it's common to bury our anger away or ignore its existence completely. However, this strategy fails because buried anger starts to build up pressure Just like a volcano. You know, this unreleased anger and resentment just starts to fester within. Like a volcano, anger lies below the surface, building up more and more pressure over time until it explodes outwardly at others and becomes a shameful event, or inwardly at self in the form of destructive eating disorder behaviors. Brandilyn Thibault, transformational coach and author of The Achievement Trap, explains why anger is not a bad thing, but in fact, a catalyst of positive change.
2: When
1: we're in anger, we actually have much more personal power than when we're in shame or guilt or fear. So what this shows us is that anger is almost like this gateway that we have to pass through in order to get to the higher emotions. But because so many of us have such judgment around anger, because we culturally have been made to believe that we're not supposed to feel angry, especially as women, We're not willing to pass through that gateway of anger to get to the other side. So we would rather stay in shame and guilt than allow ourselves to feel anger. And I see this a lot in the eating disorder community. Anger was one of the catalysts to my healing my eating disorder. Like anger was one of the most transformational aspects of my healing my eating disorder. And that was that when I finally was educated enough about the system at work, how we all internalize oppression and who's actually benefiting from the guilt and the shame that we carry about our bodies, that there are actually whole (laughs) demographics of society that benefit and profit off of our shame and guilt. When I really understand like the systemic oppression that's at play and how women are intentionally divided against each other and meant to compete with one another in order for the patriarchy to get in place. Like when I understand the understood the political, societal nature of this, I got angry about it. And as soon as I was able to get angry about it, I was no longer in my own shame.
0: There is power in working with our anger. Anger can bring clarity and strength. When we let ourselves fully feel anger, we can find clarity and set healthy boundaries. It helps us stand our ground and draw a line between what is okay and what is not okay. As Brandilyn mentioned, feeling her anger helped her say, this is what bothers me about systemic oppression. This is why and this is how things need to be different. Anger moves us to greater clarity. So remember, anger moves us to greater clarity. And from there, we can take action. If you struggle with anger, we will be covering this more in the future because I think this is such an important topic in order to set healthy boundaries and be assertive. To review, our five intense emotions connected to eating disorders are anxiety, disconnection, shame, depression, and anger. True healing comes from exploring and bringing curiosity to your emotions rather than trying to control them or rationalize them away. It's when we try and shut our emotions down that we create strong tension that increases their intensity. If you experienced trauma in childhood or were a highly sensitive child, you may find your emotions can be very intense as an adult because they didn't feel safe to be expressed or to be witnessed with compassion. Working with a support team can be helpful to help you begin to identify and accept your emotions. This was a huge part of my recovery was becoming more emotionally literate. And as you allow your emotions to move through you and to sit with the discomfort, you will see that they eventually go away, the emotion and the discomfort.